Hear now the very word of God as it is given to us in the first epistle of Paul to the Corinthians, reading from the 15th chapter, verses 12 through 20. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We were even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ whom he did not raise if if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. And may the Lord bless this reading of his word to our understanding this morning and truly bring it alive for us. Let's ask him for that illumination. Pray with me. Our dear Lord, as we read these extremely hard-hitting, driving, poignant words, I pray that you will give me the ability to stay true to them, to not vary from them, to not soften them or water them down in the slightest, but that we would see the, 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 the argument that Paul is making, the, the logical argument for the resurrection, yes, but also what it means if we begin to believe in a partial way, that we believe a little, but we don't believe everything, that we pick and choose what we believe, and especially when it comes to something like the resurrection of Jesus Christ, what it means to our faith, what it means to Christianity, what it means to our eternity, what it means to everything. May we understand the great significance of this day that we celebrate. And may you have the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I think you might have picked up by now that I have a very simple, straightforward, very singular purpose this morning. I want to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the grave. And along the way, what I want to do is I want to establish how central it is to Christianity, how central it is to the doctrines of our faith, how central it is to your belief and your salvation and virtually everything. Folks, this is not an ancillary doctrine. This is not something that you can say, well, I, you know, I like this over here, but I'm not going to accept the resurrection because everybody knows People don't raise, get raised from the dead. If, 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 if you don't believe in the resurrection and the way that Paul is going to make that argument, then Christianity not only begins to crumble, it crashes and burns. And, and, and that's what I want to make that point this morning. We want to celebrate the resurrection, but the question is raised, how can you celebrate something you don't believe in? Or how can you celebrate something that you believe in only part way? Or, or that you pick and choose how you believe in it? And are there any logical arguments that surround that? Well, that's exactly what Paul is giving us. You see, Paul is really not interested in a contrived celebration. He's not interested that we get together with some kind of sentimental, emotional intentions and we get ourselves all worked up and we celebrate the resurrection. We walk out that door and our house of cards falls apart. Because it's not real. Because it's not a true belief. 
And so that's what Paul's intention is to the Corinthians. And that's what my intention is this morning. Now, this letter to the Corinthians, we need to kind of go back and talk about that church just a wee bit, not a lot. But the reason I want to do this is because it is so representative of the place that we live and the time that we live. As many of you know, Corinth was in Greece or Macedonia at the time, and it was a seaport down, and basically it was Sin City. <laughs> it was Los Angeles, Las Vegas, New Orleans, pre-Castro, Cuba, all rolled into one. Okay, It was a place that offered every kind of vice and lasciviousness that you could possibly think of. And Paul established a little church there probably around 55 A.D., And it's just so typical of a church that is surrounded by a a recalcitrant and and a lascivious and a pagan culture. And the struggles that they had trying to keep that culture outside of the church. See, Jezebel keeps sneaking to the back door. Balaam keeps raising his ugly head. And so therefore, the thoughts of paganism and secularism just kept on sneaking into the church. And if there is one thing that defines the church that we have today and the place that we live, it is the same way. Uh, the, the world keeps sneaking into the church and every time it does, there's severe problems. And so that's, that's what Paul is doing. Paul is writing to the church and you need to recognize that. You need to recognize that this, these aren't words that are written to a pagan culture. They're not really even evangelistic words, although there's a lot of evangelism that's going to be in them. But these are words that are, def- uh, that are designed to bolster the faith of a church that's struggling. To, to, to dispel the doubts of those who, even though they believe, they, they don't believe entirely. And they're picking and choosing what they're believing. Because obviously there are people in that church who are preaching and teaching that the resurrection of the saints. And we're using that in a non-Roman Catholic sense. Um, as the, the truly saved, as the born again. Um, and and, and the, the resurrection of the saints did not occur. So that's kind of the foundation that we are going to be looking on. Now, one of the very first things that Paul does, and just if we take the chapter as a whole, is he establishes the pillars of the faith. He he establishes the, the very foundations of the gospel so that he can defend that it needs to be in a, a singular sense defended. So why don't we do this? Look in 1 Corinthians, and, and, and let's turn, we're still in the 15th chapter, but let's go back to the 3rd and the 4th verse. We, we, we recited those earlier as part of our responsive reading. But let's just see how Paul starts out this whole discussion of the resurrection. Um, in verse 3, he says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scripture, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scripture. I love the way that he puts that. Because notice that even in that very short overview of the Gospel, he refers to Scriptures twice, remembering that to him the Scriptures were the Old Testament Scriptures. See, he's saying this is the fulfillment of all that the Old Testament has been pointing us to. But he, he kind of skims over the tenets of the, of the Gospel. So let me just expand that a wee bit, because what he is doing is establishing the pillars of the faith. These are the things that are essential. And when you go messing with the pillars of a building, the building is going to fall down. 
So basically, here are the, the tenets of the gospel that we need to make sure that we don't go messing around with and choosing and, and uh, what we will believe and what we won't believe. First of all, that Jesus was God incarnate. He was the word who became flesh. He was not just a man. He was God in the flesh. He lived a life of holiness and righteousness and love, a life that was essential if any of us are going to have righteousness. He came to die. He died on a cross as a sacrificial, substitutional atonement, paying for the sins of those who put their trust in him and removing them from them forever. He died on that cross. He was a human just as much as he was God. I know the math doesn't work, but that's what scripture teaches us. And so he died on that cross and they put him in a grave. But that grave could not hold him because graves were designed for those who were sinners. The wages of sin is death. Jesus was perfect and so the grave could not hold him. On the third day, he rose from the grave, which is exactly what we celebrate right now. After 40 days, he ascended to the Father and he took the task of intercessor. And he was coronated there as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. When the time is right, he will return, this time not in humility, but in power and glory and as the judge of the world. And at that time, the dead in Christ will rise and be reunited with a glorified body and spend eternity with him in a place that he has prepared for him, for them. That's the gospel, folks, that, in a nutshell. Those are the great pillars of the faith. And Paul is making a statement now that these are absolutely true. Uh, and no, notice that he, he just assumes the truth of that. Okay, after he establishes the pillars of the gospel, he goes on and he then gives a, a proof that Jesus rose from the grave. Now, let's continue. Look in the fifth verse. We read it. In the fifth verse, he continues and says, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and to all the apostles, last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me. Now, here's what I want you to notice about Paul. Paul lived in a world pre-forensic science. The, the proof of things was not proven by fingerprints or footprints or DNA testing or photographs or videos. Paul lived in a world where there was one unquestionable truth. And that was the witness, the eyewitness of two to three witnesses. That was how they determined proof in every court of law. It was through eyewitnesses. So what I want you to see is by stating this, what Paul has basically told us is I have just given you irrefutable proof of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that's it. He's, he's not going to go back there. From this point on, he assumes that you recognizing that there are over 500 eyewitnesses of Jesus raised from the grave, that you will believe it because that's the only proof they had in those days. And it goes way over two or three witnesses. Now, something else I want you to realize. That is not a metaphor, folks. And there are people out there that are saying that 
oh, the resurrection is just a metaphor. It's just to show us how much God loves us. Jesus actually didn't pay for anything on the cross. You know, it's just a, a whole statement of love. That's not a metaphor. Paul is not talking in metaphors. That is straightforward. You cannot question the way that he put that. So you need to recognize something. That if he makes a statement like that and it is not true, then Paul is a, is a malicious, blatant, bald-faced, diabolical liar. And you need to throw him out. You don't need to listen to a single thing that he says. And for that matter, so are the rest of the New Testament writers. Not that the resurrection is on every page, but every single one of the writers talks about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You cannot pay attention to anything that they say if they would lie about something like that. And and, and that's kind of the tone (laughs) that that we're going to take this morning. Um, uh, Let me go ahead and and make sort of an apology here. Let let, let me give you a, a little bit of a disclaimer. I realize, and I'm not accusing anybody of this, but I realize that a lot of people go to church two times a year, once on Easter and once on Christmas. And I began to think, you know something, that means that you probably only hear two sermons and you hear the same sermon over and over again year after year. Uh, you, you never really hear the meat and potatoes. Well, guess what? This is meat and potatoes, folks. Um, Paul is not one to be sensitive about your sensitivities. He's interested in salvation. He's interested in seeing you in heaven with him. That's what his interest is. And if he has to ruffle some feathers a little bit and he has to put things in a different way, well, then he's not above that at all. And if I want to be true to this text, then I'm going to have to do the same thing. So it it might be a little different than the normal Easter Sunday morning sermon that you're used to hearing. But hopefully it will be one that will take hold. Now, because Paul doesn't do it, I'm not going to go into the historical proofs for Jesus. I mean, Paul totally assumes from this point on, man, if you can't, if you can't accept the eyewitness of all those people, then you're not going to accept anything. But then, of course, there are the historical reasons to believe in this. Things like the dramatic change in the disciples and actually the brothers of Jesus before the resurrection and after the resurrection. This whole bunch of people who could, couldn't do anything but hide all of a sudden become the most powerful evangelical force that the world has ever seen. Secondly, the thousands of martyrs, hundreds of them who saw Jesus personally went to torturous deaths and would not change their story. Let me tell you something. People don't die for things that they're made up. Thirdly, the empty tomb. All they would have had to have done would be to produce a dead body. I mean, a corpse and Christianity dies in its infancy. Fourthly, is you. This church. 2,000 years later, here we are believing and celebrating in something that the rest of the world scoffs about. I mean, that's one of the most powerful apologetics for the truth of the resurrection because we would not be here if Jesus was still laying in the grave. But Paul is going to make sort of a backdoor argument. Um, I want to get into, there are six arguments that he makes that that state that the resurrection is absolutely essential, not just for uh, um, historical proofs, but just a logical proof. Now, here's what he's going to do. As I said, he's already made this, the fact that Jesus was resurrected from the grave. And from this point on, he assumes that you know that that's proof. 
But then he's going to go and look at something else. Now, as I said earlier, there was a problem in Corinth in those days. And there were people that were preaching and teaching that they weren't necessarily doubting that Jesus was going to be raised from the grave, but or, or that he was. But they're saying that we, the saints, aren't. I mean, if you know about the Sadducees, you know that that was something that they believed. They were Jews, of course, and these are Gentiles. But they didn't believe in a resurrection of the dead. They believed heaven and hell was right here on earth. And that was beginning to creep its way into the church. So Paul is going to make an argument. And the argument is simply that if we are not raised from the grave, then Jesus wasn't raised from the grave. And then he's going to make an argument about the consequences that would occur if Jesus Christ was not raised from the grave. Because after all, Jesus told us that he was going to raise us up from the grave. I mean, John 6, on several occasions, this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. A couple of verses later, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. And so in other words, you can't have Jesus saying, I'm going to raise you up and lying about that and telling the truth about his own resurrection. That's the, that's the premise that Paul is using. So let's jump into the text now and let's take a look at the way he expresses that. I'm going to pull a couple of things out of the text before we go into it first. Look at verses 12, 13, and 16, because that is where Paul is going to clearly state his premise for the argument that follows. Verse 12. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. Jump down to the 16th verse. For if the dead are not raised, not even, excuse me, Christ has been raised. So that's his premise in a nutshell. And it is absolutely clear. He is going to make the case that if if, if we're not going to be raised from the grave eventually, then Christ wasn't raised from the grave. And let me tell you what that means. And that's exactly what he's going to go into. He is going to give you the logical extension of that belief. Actually, he's going to talk about the very great dangers that exist in partial belief. It's kind of like, if, for those of you here at, at New Hope, you know that we've just been studying the book of Luke, and we've just seen the magnificent transfiguration on top of the mountain, and Jesus comes down the mountain, there's that poor man whose son is, is indwelt by a demon. The disciples can't throw it out. And in Mark, Jesus is pressing that man about his faith, and he has that great statement. He says, I believe. Help my unbelief. <laughs> I believe. But I, I, I don't believe. Or I believe, or I, I, I believe in parts. I believe because, well, it's tradition. I believe because the preacher yells at me every Sunday and makes me believe. I believe because everybody in my family believes. I believe because I'm supposed to. I believe because I fear the consequences of unbelief. I believe, I believe, I believe, but I don't believe. And what Paul is saying is that not going to work, folks, not if you push it to the logical extension, because if someone tells you something that you believe in and what they tell you in one sense is true and in the other sense is something that you don't accept, then either this person is a lunatic, a liar, or as C.S. Lewis would say, he's Lord and you have to believe him. 
So that's, that, that's the, the fullness of his, uh, of his um, argument in a nutshell. Now, one other thing I want to pull out, because I'm going to keep coming to this as we go through this. Look down to the 20th verse. This is where Paul turns the whole argument around. Brothers and sisters, this is a decidedly negative argument. Okay, he's going to tell you of the horrors that would happen to Christianity if Jesus had not been resurrected from the grave. And he's going to give you all of them. There are six of them. And then he's going to wait till the end before he turns it around. But let's go ahead and read it because I'm going to kind of intersperse it through our whole discussion. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Falling asleep is just a metaphor for dying. First fruits refers to that first part of the harvest. It means various things. It was a time of thanksgiving for the Lord. It was something that the Lord wanted us to give him. But in the way that Paul is using it here, the first fruits refer to the, the very first part of the harvest. And what was so significant about that is it would be representative of the way the rest of the harvest was going to look. It, it was it, The rest of the harvest was going to follow in that suit. And so what Paul is saying is that Jesus is the first fruits of the resurrection and the rest of the harvest is us if you believe in Christ. So it's a, it's, it's a profound argument talking about not just the resurrection of Christ, but the resurrection of all those who are with Christ. So... With that said, let's go back to the 14th verse and let's take a look at these arguments that Paul makes, the consequences that he gives us if indeed Jesus did not rise from the dead. And the whole purpose is to bolster your faith, to dispel any partial doubt that you may have of the importance and the centrality of the resurrection. And as I said... This is straightforward and hard-hitting stuff because Paul is interested that you recognize and have an honest intellectual conversation with yourself to ask yourself what you believe. Look in the 14th verse. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. If Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. That word vain means empty. It means worthless. It means hollow. And in this particular context, it means untrue. So what Paul is saying is if Jesus did not rise from the grave, then he is a liar because he is teaching and preaching that Jesus did. And if he is preaching this and Jesus actually did not rise from the grave, then his profession is the lowest, most despicable, backwards profession that anyone could possibly have. And it is, by the way, my profession as well. So this is an admission. In other words, if Jesus Christ is not raised from the dead, then I am basing all of what I do on a hollow, empty promise. And I am trying to teach you and convince you of a hollow, empty promise. I am trying to espouse and make a doctrine and a career out of a 
hollow, empty promise. That's worse than a drug pick uh, a pusher because it is spiritual in nature. It is worse than a pimp. It is worse than a slave trader. It is worse than any kind of con man that you could possibly imagine because that would make me a deceiver, a manipulator, a false witness, and a liar of epic proportions. And so therefore, you couldn't believe anything that I said. And you can't believe anything that Paul would say. And if you can't believe anything that Paul would say, you can't believe anything that the other New Testament writers said because they all say the same thing. And if you can't believe the New Testament, you're not going to be able to believe the Old Testament because the Old Testament points forward to what Jesus is going to do all the way through it. So in therefore, anything that any preacher who actually preaches the gospel preaches from the word, you can't believe. You can't believe in the creation. You can't believe in the covenants of God. You can't believe in the nature of God when he says he's compassionate and loving and merciful. You can't believe in the teachings of Christ. You can't believe in his ethical standards. You cannot believe in the crucifixion. You cannot believe in the resurrection. You cannot believe in the ascension. And you can't believe in the second coming. None of that is possible to believe in because Jesus has lied to you. So therefore, there is no worse, more despicable, more disgusting or simple-minded or deluded profession or activity than to preach the word of God. But, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. So everything that I just said is categorically false. And everything that the Bible says is absolutely true. Because it has been proven by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It means that the Bible, the word of God, is the infallible, inerrant word of God. It means that it is the, 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 the necessary, the clear, the authoritative, the complete word of God. And that you can put your faith and your trust in that. How wonderful it is, brothers and sisters, to have an anchor that we can base truth on. Because in the culture around us, truth changes every day. Your opinion is just as valid as my opinion, no matter what that opinion is. No matter whether it's grounded in truth or not. And what the Bible tells us is there is one absolute truth. And in that you can put your faith. So in other words, the promises of Scripture are true. When Jesus says the Son of Man has come to seek and save the lost, you can believe it. When Jesus says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life, you can take that to the bank. Because it is verified by the crucifixion. When Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life, whoever believes in me, though he died, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. You can take that to the bank because it's absolutely true because it has been affirmed by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, but to me, that's a reason to celebrate, to celebrate the resurrection. Well, Paul is just getting warmed up, folks. Okay, so he goes back. Let's just go back and let's reread that 14th verse. 
Because basically what he also says, and if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. If Christ has not been raised, your faith then is worthless, meaningless, hollow, misdirected, and completely untrue. Don't fool yourself. Don't fool yourself to believe that you can have faith in something if Jesus is moldering in a grave someplace. Because you have no faith. You, you, you don't even have as much belief as that poor man whose son was dwelt by a, a demon who said, I believe, help my unbelief. You can't even say that. You have no belief. You have no hope in this world whatsoever. Because if Jesus was not resurrected from the grave, then he is still there and salvation did not exist through him. Your faith is absolutely empty and worthless. But you say, wait a minute, Jesus was a great teacher. I love what he says. He had this great ethical standard. I mean, there's so much to believe in in Jesus without me having to believe in the resurrection. Oh, really? Really, do you really say that you would believe in someone who told his disciples just before he's going to be killed? Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will receive you to myself. That where I am, there you will be also. Can you put your faith in a man who would say that if it was a lie? Or if he was just deluded? Jesus claimed to be the Son of God. He said, I and the Father are one. He said, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. You're going to believe in a man? You're going to say he's a moral person that you can follow his ethical standards? If he made such a claim as that, he's either a liar or a lunatic or he is Lord. Can't be anything. You cannot have middle ground as far as Jesus. He didn't leave you that opportunity. Jesus even said, I'm coming again, folks. I'm going to die. Yes. He told his disciples that. We just read it recently in Luke. Here's what he said. The Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and scribes, be killed, and on the third day be raised. That's not a moral individual, if that's true. And brothers and sisters, that is not a metaphor. That is straightforward statement because Jesus is later going to stay sitting on the side of the Mount of Olives when the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him. Then He will sit on His glorious throne. Do you realize if that is false, then He is a madman. If Jesus did not, was not resurrected from the death, rather than later on when Paul says death is swallowed up in victory, Jesus is swallowed up in death. And therefore nothing that He says it's worth believing in. You have no faith. But. Praise God for these buts. But in fact. Christ. Has been raised from the dead. The first fruits. Of those who have fallen asleep. So therefore. Everything I just said. That would happen. If he wasn't resurrected. Is not true. Because he was resurrected. So therefore, your faith is solid as a rock. Your faith is founded on something that will never change the cornerstone of the church, the rock of ages. Your faith is cemented in concrete because it is something that God assured you. And he verified it through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The resurrection validates your faith.
It validates what you have done, which, of course, I take that back, not what you have done, what God has given you, because your faith has saved you, and that is a great gift of God. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not of yourself, it is the gift of God, not of works, so that no one can boast. You have been given such a great, great gift. So celebrate. For goodness sake, celebrate. Celebrate your belief. Celebrate the fact that Jesus died on the cross so that your sins could be forgiven. Celebrate the fact that they put him in a tomb, but the tomb couldn't hold him. Celebrate the fact that on the third day he was resurrected from the grave. Celebrate the fact that he had the victory over death rather than being defeated by it. You have so much to celebrate because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the grave. And I think, brothers and sisters, that that's a good reason for the resurrection celebration. Well, Paul, in the immortal words of Emeril Lagasse, is about to kick it up a notch. Look in the 15th verse. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. He he takes a quantum leap into the consequences of teaching and preaching a God who raised his son from the grave, if that's not true. Now, brothers and sisters, we live in a day when people don't mind manipulating and misrepresenting God and misrepresenting the word of God, but that was not Paul. To Paul, it was the most heinous of all sins. To be teaching or preaching or talking about a God who didn't exist, somebody we made up in our minds. And so this is a serious and an egregious sin to actually be teaching people that God raised his son from the dead if he didn't actually do it. It would be misrepresenting God. But even worse than that, even worse than that, it would be making God unreliable. Because you see, God said, I raised him from the dead. The Bible says God raised him from the dead over and over and over again. And... and, And and I hesitate to even say these words. And please don't take them out of context because they're blasphemous. But these are the blasphemous words that would occur if Jesus was not resurrected from the grave. It would have made God a liar. He would have told us that he loved his people. He would have told us that he was always caring for them. And that he was filled with loving kindness. And he would guide them out of trouble and into triumph. All of the covenants, all of the prophecies, all of the promises that he kept telling the people that one day there is going to be someone who is going to stomp on the head of the serpent. And then throughout all redemptive history, he brings it all together and we're all looking at the coming of God and his son comes and he lives the life. He claims to be God. He dies on a cross and everything fizzles. It just stops right there. Because when he went into the grave, he stayed there. There was no resurrection. There was no affirmation. There was no uh, verification that Jesus did what he said he did. Do you realize that that makes all of redemptive history a scam? It makes it a farce. It makes it untrue. And it makes God something that he simply cannot be. Makes him a liar. And if God's a liar, he doesn't exist, folks. And we are right in there with the rest of the secular world trying to make our way through life without a God. 
but. But in fact, praise God, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruit of all those who have fallen asleep. And so therefore, God has not been misrepresented. He's been revealed. That's what the resurrection does. It shows the power and the glory of God. It shows that Jesus was everything that he said he was. He did everything that he said he came to do. And it is God accepting his sacrifice on behalf of those who put their trust in him. It means that everything that he said is absolutely true. All the promises, all the covenants, all the promises, everything points to Jesus. And that means when Jeremiah says way back then, for I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil to give you a future and a hope. That is something that you can bank on because that represents God's true intention. When Jesus says, I am the way, the truth And the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That is absolutely impossible. It's totally true. Jesus is representing and revealing his Father to us. When he later on says in his high priestly prayer, Father, glorify me in the way in your presence with the glory that I had before the world existed. We know that that is the very Son of God who came to reveal God to us. He's the radiance of God's glory, the exact imprint of his nature in whom all the fullness Of the deity is pleased to dwell. I don't know about you. But I say that's something to celebrate. On Easter Sunday morning. Well we're not through yet. So let's continue. Jump down to the 17th verse. Because as I said the 16th verse is is part of his premise. Now. Paul returns to the idea of faith, but he makes it a little bit more poignant this time. He says, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. I don't think that most people who struggle with the, um, the, the resurrection, and I'm not talking about, we all have doubts. The enemy throws darts at us all the time. We all struggle with that. It's part of our sanctification process. But I'm talking about people who try to explain it away. People talk about the great swoon, you know, where he, he, he came back to life in the tomb. And, and all of those crazy ideas. I don't think that they realize what that means for your salvation. You see, the scripture tells us that there's a great dilemma that exists between God and humanity. The real problem is with God. It's more so than it is with us. The real problem is the fact that God is holy. Perfect in his holiness. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. And he cannot bear to look upon iniquity. And those who are fallen, those who are profane, will never, ever stand in the presence of a holy God. That's the great dilemma. That's the situation that we are in. And God knew it. And he knows that there's no way that I can work my way towards that God. I can be the best person that can possibly be and according to the cultures. And I am still an egregious sinner. I wake up every morning and I sin against God. And so therefore I am deserving of his wrath. I am deserving of his punishment. And unless somebody steps in and pays the penalty for that, I am lost. I am lost in my sins. And so are you. As Paul says the wages of sin is death. And so therefore 
unless there is some remediation of sin, unless there is some way that it is taken care of, unless there is some hope, unless there is some way that you can deal with or propitiate or atone for the sins that you have committed against the holy God, your punishment is eternal and every single one of us are staring the wrath of God and an eternity in hell in the face. But, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Praise God for the resurrection. Because the resurrection proves that when Jesus hung on that cross. And he took my sins upon him. And God poured his wrath out upon those sins. The very fact of the resurrection means that God says, I accept that sacrifice on your behalf. And that righteousness, I attribute to you. It's not that I am righteous. It's not that I am made righteous, nor are you. It's that Christ declares us righteous with his righteousness, a perfect righteousness. A righteousness that makes it possible to stand in the presence of God. Well did Jesus say in his Sermon on the Mount, the so-called Beatitudes, when he said, blessed, that Greek word makarios means to be in a state of blessedness. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Later he says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We'll never be righteous. And that which is not righteous, that which is profane, can never have relationship with God. It was the cross work of Jesus Christ verified by the resurrection that removes us from our sins and sets us in a presence of God so that we can not only stand in his presence, but we can call him Abba, Father, and have relationship with the Holy God only through Jesus Christ and only through the resurrection. And I don't know about you, but I think those are reasons to celebrate. Paul then moves from talking about what happens to us to talking about what happens to, the, to others. Look in the 18th verse. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. As we've said before, those who have fallen asleep, he's talking about the saints in a, in a, in a biblical sense, those who truly believe. Fallen asleep is a metaphor for dying and perished. Perished means to slip into perdition. Perish means to go to hell, folks. That's what the word means. And so Paul says that if Christ is not resurrected from the dead, all these amazing fathers of the faith, all these incredible people, they all are in hell right along with the worst sinner. That means that Abraham and Joseph and Samuel... And David and and Moses and Joshua and Elijah and Elisha and Isaiah and Jeremiah and Peter and Paul and James and John and Jesus himself in in that humanity. And every single person who has lived, who has given their life to Jesus, they're all in perdition. 
All of them are in the same place that was set aside for the devil and his angels. I think about Hebrews 11 when I think about this. I think about people who have given their lives for Christ. I think about people who have suffered immeasurably for the gospel. Hebrews puts it this way. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. If Christ is not raised from the dead, they're all in hell. Every single one of them. The great men and women of our faith in more recent years, people like R.C. Sproul, people like D. James Kennedy, people like John Gerstner or Martin Lloyd-Jones or Jonathan Edwards or Charles Spurgeon or John Calvin, Martin Luther, St. Augustine of Hippo, they're all in hell. They're all in perdition along with the worst, most egregious sinner on earth if indeed Jesus did not rise from the grave. As are your loved ones. All those that you know, if you were fortunate enough to have parents or grandparents or people in your family that introduced you to the Lord and raised you in the fear and admonition of the Lord, those you have fashioned your life after and, 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 and try to emulate, it means that they're all lost. They all made a mistake and every single one of them is in hell because Jesus did not rise from the grave. That's powerful stuff. But, are you about ready to start repeating it with me? But in fact, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. I was anemic. We'll do better next time. But nonetheless... Those who have gone before us, brothers and sisters, are not in perdition. They're in glory. They're in the most glorious place, Paul says, that we cannot even imagine. What what no eye has seen, nor the ear heard, nor the heart of man imagine what God has prepared for those who love him. They are in the most unspeakable glory. They're in the presence of God and in the Lamb. They're in a place where there's no sin, where there's no hatred, where there's no anger, where there's no death, there's no sorrow, there's no sickness. They are in absolute incredible glory. And you know the best part about it? They're alive. They they, they may have left this world, but they're alive in Christ. Paul says that in, in Ephesians. Even when we were dead in our tresses, He made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Peter says it in his epistle. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Brothers and sisters, the fact that Jesus rose from the grave means that your loved ones of old will be your loved ones forever. You will walk with them and talk with them and have real conversations in a real place with real bodies. There will be real reconciliations. There will be real time spent together. This is not some dream. It's not a fairy tale. We don't sit around on clouds strumming harps. 
There is a real reward that God has set aside for those who love him. And if that's you, you will see your loved ones who also love the Lord. And I don't know about you, but that is reason for celebration. One more, and I think it's kind of a, a, a summation or a culmination of all of these that Paul gives in the 19th verse. He says, if in this life only we have hoped in Christ... We are of all people to be most pitied. Do you think he's saying that sort of rhetorically? Do you think that's sort of hyperbole? I mean, after all, I don't know about you, but I say this many times in my Christian life. My life after Christ is so much better than my life before Christ that I wouldn't exchange it for anything. And even if there was no heaven, which I, of course, believe that there is, but if there was nothing after this life, I'd still want to be a Christian. Because to be a Christian is so much better than before when I wasn't a Christian. But that's for a reason, folks. Do you realize the reason? That's because it's true. That's because to be a Christian is a change in life. That's because the Holy Spirit regenerates you and gives you a new heart. You are a new creation in Christ. And if Jesus Christ is in the grave, then none of that is true. And I would be miserable as a Christian. So what Paul says is absolutely true. There's nothing that could be sadder, more pathetic, more pitiful than a group of people who give their whole lives to something that's false. We would be the dupes of the universe. We would have missed our one chance. You see, Scripture is very, very clear, and I think you all know that, that our dance on this earth is very short. We're like that mayfly that is born in the morning and is dead in the afternoon. We're like the flower that the sun just burns up and the wind comes and blows over it and the place where we were knows us no more. We're here today, we are gone tomorrow. In 50 years, 100 years, 200 years, no one will even know that we existed for most of us. And if what we're talking about is false, if Jesus didn't rise from the grave, if Christianity is a farce, then we have wasted The very little bit of time that we had that we could have maybe found some peace in this life. We've given it all up. We've lived for others. We've given our time and our resources and our loyalty to something that is a false. That is the most pitiful, pathetic group of people. And people like me who actually teach you and try to lead you into that. They ought to be taken outside and silenced. I know we live in a free country of free speech, at least we have in the past. But that means that I am leading people astray and I'm indulging in hate speech. But, and this time you can repeat it with me. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Praise God. And what that means, amen, you can clap at that because that is praising God. In fact, Jesus told you to rejoice. He said in Luke, rejoice in that day and leap for joy for behold, your reward is great in heaven. Do you recognize something? If you believe in the the reality of the gospel and all those tenets that I just told you and you haven't taken them apart and dismantled them, that if you believe in that, that means your past is secure. 
That means that all of eternity past has been directed towards bringing salvation to people just like you. And it also means that your future is secure. It means that Christ has prepared a place for you. That there is a place at the wedding feast of the Lamb with your name on it. And that you are part of the bride of Christ that he will present to his father as purified and and regenerated. So your past is secure and your future is secure. What are you going to do in the present? Celebrate. Celebrate. Celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ because through that you have been saved. Through that, this short life is a time that you spend turning to Jesus and living a life for him. And as Jesus says, there is reward in heaven. And it is great. And it makes anything that you could possibly do on this earth pale by comparison. Brothers and sisters, when we went over that and over that, And said, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits. (laughs) Recognize what that means. That's a promise. It is a promise that if you have your faith in Christ, he was raised from the grave. And it is a promise that you will be too. That this life is not all there is. And that the greatest significance that could be given to any life which is for God in his holiness and glory to call you to himself through his son, Jesus Christ, and save you with his saving faith. There could be no greater significance that anyone could have. So how could you do anything else on this day? And I mean this. How can you do anything else except a resurrection celebration? Let's pray. Dear Lord, I think that Paul has made it absolutely clear to us that this is something worth celebrating. And I know, dear Lord, that the world around us scoffs at this. When Paul went to the Areopagus and he talked to the Greeks, they laughed at him. Uh, They were listening up until that point, but as soon as he mentioned the resurrection, they laughed at him. But in the old days, in the early church, it was almost every time that, that your spirit moved through those men. They were preaching the resurrection. And now it's, it's almost as if it's a sideline. It's almost as if it's a metaphor. And we wonder why our resurrection Sunday celebrations are so tepid, so watered down, so weak. We wonder why other things seem to take center rather than the celebration of your resurrection. May it never be. May it not be for us. May it not be for this church. Dear Lord, may we truly in our hearts when we leave this place continue that celebration knowing that Paul has given us solid reasons to believe in it logically and to take it with us and that that would come out in the way that we live our life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.